podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barbless Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barbless Podcast hotline, area code 530-636-2523. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast. Although we talk about many things aside from fly fishing, but more than likely we're going to be talking about fly fishing, right? Yeah, fly, I think so. Fly fishing. Is there anything else to talk about? Who's that, who's that voice? Who's that voice? I don't care where it is. That sounds like know. a recurring character so, uh, voice on the show. It's it's beginning of June, and uh, hex are about to start popping all over the country. And, uh, Dream and on. Northern, Dream on, Nick. Northern California. So we brought Hal in to talk about a little bit of uh, hex fishing. Mr. Jansen. Mr. Please the Petaluma I'm pygmy. Old enough as it is, okay. The Hexagenia limbata. Did, did we did we get a, did we discuss why they call you the Petaluma pygmy? Pygmy the last because time because I used to work in Petaluma, mm-hmm. and whenever I was in a boat anywhere, everybody could always see where Hal was because Hal was always a foot shorter than everybody else standing up in their boat. <laughs> and the pygmy is a people's. And, and the people said, "Well, there must be a pygmy in that boat." Well, they got over there and they saw, "Yep, it was." You know, Portuguese pygmy. <laughs> so, <laughs> what can I say? You know. Well, I don't know about you, Hal, but I'm I'm excited for this hex season, and I don't know why, but there's striper, there's shad, there's all kinds of cool things going on. And usually, I go from shad fishing with my shooting headlines right to the lake hex fishing, and use the same lines for the uh, trolling around for nymphs. Um, what you're trolling around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm st- I don't know what it is. Like I don't want to go fishing for shad. I don't want to go fishing for striper. I want to go. I can tell you're pumped up for I hex this year. I want to go catch a big brown on a dry, a hex dry. Well, if you're going to be trolling around with a dry. No, 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 no. no but what I'm saying people is. People do skating do that, dries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> skating and I, dries I mean, I see things that you wouldn't even believe out there. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I don't even want to know. No. I mean, it's, it's Disney. It's Disney in reverse. I mean, it's not even Walt Disney. It's Disney in reverse. I mean, these people got things out there. I, I mean, I think they take rubber balls and they put stuff all over, bucktail and stuff, and they throw them out there. They don't cast them. They throw them out there. <laughs> and I mean, you see 10 people to a boat, you know, it looks like a porcupine floating on the water, man. You know, all these guys. But what I'm saying, there's hexes are easy. That's the simplest fly to, to imitate. Because it's number one, it's big. Number two, the fish are looking for it yep. at that time of the year. Right now and this year, is everything is retarded because the fish are not going to be looking for them for a long time because they got other things in their mind. Uh, you we, mean this year with the season being kind of so late? Yeah. Earlier, Chad and I were talking while you were getting things ready in here. And I told him I'd been up to Almanor. And fishing game planted. Yep, all those Chinooks. No, oh, they're little brown trout. Oh, they planted, they planted Chinook, too. They planted they? browns, he said. I was like, what? Little teeny brown trout like this. I mean, 
That's a renter for most of the Bronx yeah, out there. Yeah, about as big as an dollars going to so work. So why, why? Yeah, that's right. As they're, feeding the, they're feeding the Browns. Yeah. Now, so they're going to be they're going to be keyed in on something everywhere. different. And so, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you about this hex huh. thing. I would love to be able to say, oh, God, this hex thing is going to be wonderful. <laughs> but this is going to be one year when you're going to have to watch because, number one, Oroville is full, as we all are aware. But Valley's not taking any water on because they've got all the water they can handle down there. The peninsula's gone. Like it's underwater. It's underwater. The peninsula. That's right. And, so there's just ba- so much water, and that's going to affect the hatch. A, you know, for the back end of the lake, I mean, you, you know, the back end of the lake is more of a, a basin than anything else. It's not, you know, where it goes out shallow, 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 like most lakes are. It's a drop-off because it's built. That's where the dam is. Right, right. So it's built right in in that little cavity crater of the dam. And so it's, it's deep right there. Well, now it's even twice as deep. You know, so the hex is where, where are they going to go? The water and, the, and the, the bottom is what we're looking for more than anything else. When you're hex fishing, bottom. First of all, mud, mud. Mud. Those fish are going to be intercepting the bugs before they even have a time to get to the top. Well, the fish are going to be, be coming up, but they're going to be coming out of the mud. Remember that. Now, if you've got big rocks and stuff along the bank, that's not good. That's, that's not, not a good hex spot. That's not a good hex spot. Well, hey, before you get, before you get into detail, um, because a friend of mine, he was trolling around in a merger, right? He was had a sinking line on, and instead of a nymph pattern, he was trolling a, a dry fly t- so to speak, the whole time. And he's like, I'm not getting any bites. I'm like, well, let me see what fly. He had a dry fly on the whole time. So mm-hmm. before we get into details, I want to call our buddy uh, Joe and see if he's available. Joe, Joe Sluzark, he's an entomologist. And just hear what he has to say about the entomology. Chico thing. State, Joe? Yeah. Oh. yeah that's, oh, nice little surprise there. So yeah. he just graduated from there. We'll, we'll see what, if it, how it works. He was in trout nutrition. That's what he graduated. No. Really? <laughs> nutrition. <laughs> so we're calling Joe? Yeah. God, I love this new system. I hope, I hope he answers. There he is. Hey, Nick. Hey, Joe. It's Luzark. What's hey, man. Up? How you doing? Hey, what's up? Good. Hey, we got you. Uh, we got you on the Barless Podcast. We're talking with uh, Hal Jansen here, and you, we're going to do. Uh, we're doing a hex episode, and we want to hear from the the top minds of of uh, <laughs> California, <laughs> uh, the story or the life of the Hexagenia lombata. Can you can we talk for a little bit? Sure. What do you want to know? Uh, well, what do you got? First, uh, tell me something well, new, Joe. Okay, I got a, I got a question for you, Joe. So, um, Hal was just talking about this year is is a atypical year in terms of how high the lake is. Okay, so the water's super high this year. Let's call it four feet, five feet, six feet higher than it was say last year at this time. More than that. More than that. Let's ten feet. Whatever it is. Yeah. My question is, um, you know, if they're typically we're fishing like 12 to 18 feet of water, um, now there's an additional 10 feet over the top of that this year. Do the hex migrate to shallower silt or mud, or are they? can we still expect them to egress from the same area the areas that they were the year before? Um, as far as I know, they don't move. Okay. Like, you know, to shallower water. Um, you know, I would expect them, the nymphs anyway, to be in the same area. Um, as far as like whether when the larvae might uh, emerge from their uh, burrows, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually know if they go straight up or if they head toward shore. And I don't, I've never read or, or observed anything like that. You know, um, the problem with hex, nymph, hex nymphs is they're coming off late in the evening and it's hard to see what they're hard doing. Hard to see what's going on. Really what, are they doing, Joe? what are they doing at four or five o'clock in the afternoon? What? Okay, what are they doing at four or five o'clock in the afternoon, and and they're going to hatch at dark, say at nine nine thirty? I mean, well, what? you know, um, pretty much like all mayflies will, um, the larvae will be pretty active, like prior to an emergence, and some will actually even start swimming up toward the surface, and then they'll drop back down into the water back down in the hmm. deeper water um you know it's not like a lot of people think that like you know when it's on they all jump out of their burrows and race to the top no that's right i understand and, i just thought that yeah. until right now but um <laughs> you know they're probably once they once they're ready to emerge they're probably moving toward the what's, surface what's causing them to emerge I mean, well what, when and what's what's a what's a factor there? Uh basically when they're fully when they're basically fully mature and when they fully mature um underneath the nymphal skin they start to develop the adult characteristics and another thing that happens is they start to generate like I don't gases underneath their cuticle and I don't know if it's carbon dioxide or what but you, you probably noticed when you sometimes when you see hexes and the nymphs are still in the water, they'll have a, like a little bit of a shiny hue. Yeah. And and pretty much all mayflies do that too. It's a lot easier to see with caddis pupa. What is that silverness then? It's it's um it's gases like underneath uh, the skin. Con- is that correct? Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, they're underneath the skin. So they're That's making right. they're basically making their own little ballast tanks to to get up. Well, not so much to get well, up, but to free themselves of the shuck. Yeah, okay. it, and, it and will, them moving up is a byproduct of trying to get rid of their shuck. Well, well, they they have to they have to get to the surface in order to emerge as a, a sub adult. So they can't emerge unless they're actually at the surface because um you know their bodies of the dun they're they're somewhat water repellent but not super water repellent like a caddis is um a lot of caddis flies you know can you can dump the adult under the water and they'll pop right up to the top again like mm-hmm. like a cork mm-hmm. because they're covered with hairs that are hydrophobic so um so it acts like it acts like a wax Hmm. Um, but you know, so they're coming up to the surface. Those gases, those me- they're metabolic gases, and I couldn't tell you. They're probably there's probably some is carbon dioxide, you know, um, and I don't really know what the others would be. I don't know that anybody's ever looked at that. Is it but, like a balloon where, as as this going up in altitude, it's increasing in size? No, I don't think it's like that. I think it's more like if you were stuck in a plastic bag and every time you breathed out, the gas from your breath out would just get stuck in this plastic bag. And 
I d- again, it's not like a caddis fly. There's some, there's some gases there, so it'll make them a little bit shiny. But I'm, now I'm just going to speculate. I think it makes, when they reach the surface, it makes the skin a little bit more taut. So that, like... It's easier for them to s- burst through. When they split through, yeah. Hmm. Um, it should be a little easier. Sometimes when you see the shucks and you see a freshly emerged done on the water with the shuck still attached to it you ever notice that sometimes you'll see a little air bubble in there too Mm -hmm. inside the empty shuck doesn't happen all the time but i've seen that Hmm. um once they emerge uh you know the duns they all fly off the water and into the trees towards shore yeah, well they'll well they'll go into shore and they'll actually go into trees and sit on the undersides of trees, of leaves and stuff like that because they need to wait. Um, I, I'm not sure how long it is for hexes. I think it's 24 hours that they're in the done stage, but it's a certain amount of time. At that time, inside the 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 dun's body is the maturing adult, which would be the spinner. What we call the spinner, fisherman calls it imago. Well, that's the adult is the imago, the dun is the subimago. And what they're doing is the adult is developing inside, and then the adult will emerge. And then basically you have the mating swarm. And what we're fishing, I think the mating swarms all happen at night, which is In probably the mid- you don't middle do of the night, right? <clears throat> yeah. And. What we're fishing to when we see them coming back, laying their eggs, you know, that'll be like, yeah, you know, like way in darkness. I know when I lived in Pennsylvania, you were allowed to night fish. And we used to fish the green drake, which is, you know, a different genus and species, but they're in the same family and they have a very similar life cycle. And we would fish the spinners like, We'd be out there till like midnight, <laughs> just fishing to slurps, <laughs> you know. Um, I know, yeah. Done that so, in Vegas. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Did you say you've done that in Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, huh? Oh, he's talking about not making, making a joke. Stupid joke. Oh, slur- oh, okay. <laughs> so the the adults only live for about twenty four hours. And then they come back. They come back in the middle of the well, night to lay their eggs. And then how long are the then the eggs and larvae are in the mud for two, up to two years, right? Until well, they do that all over again. What going? What's going on with the eggs? Can be pretty complicated. Um, it's been demonstrated in stoneflies that eggs from a single batch from a single female will, if you, from a, from, so you have one clutch of eggs. After the first year, most of them will emerge. But going on up to about four, I think it's four years out, um, you'll still get, you'll still get individuals emerging from that original clutch of eggs. Wow. That's several years old. Actually, John is the one who did that paper. Wow. You've met John. Yeah, your partner there, yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. He did it he did it with isogenoides. I don't remember what So that was species. a stone that was a stonefly species, but the mayflies can do right. the same thing. So they, they well, just so I'm clear, they they dump a bunch of eggs in the mud down deep. Well well they on lay the surface. The, they 
they lay their eggs on the surface okay. and the eggs the basically when the eggs hit the water as soon as they get wet um they'll swell up and they get like they they, they get like this jelly like consistency around them and some of them will even have like little tendrils and things like that Whoa. but i don't know speaking specifically for hexagenia lombata but the eggs will fall down fall all the way through the water column down to the 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 substrate on the bottom of the lake and eventually they will hatch and usually when um any kind of aquatic insect hatches the first thing that the the tiny first and star larvae do is they go straight down into the mud or into the rocks and they you know so they'll go pretty deep um, how, how deep do they burrow like to make their homes or whatever uh you know when they're when they're developed they're not they don't ver- they don't burrow very deep um basically their burrows are shaped like a u imagine like imagine the flat surface of like a mud bottom and you were looking at it in cross section it would be shaped like a u so there's an intake to the burrow and a, and an outgoing vent mm-hmm. and the larvae go in there and they lie down there in the bottom of that burrow and you know how they have those big, long, um, the gills? Yep. Yeah. So while they're in their burrow, they start flapping their gills, and that creates a current that goes through uh, the gills, and they filter feed. So it's almost like they're that like oysters feed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I did not know like, that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's a trip. I've fed on oysters, but I don't know how they feed. <laughs> <laughs> the same way they do they they're not in they don't burrow but they can sit in the open ocean and just filter a current that's yeah. passing through them. Yeah. So they're right. making their own little right. vortex essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So and you know and they just filter feed and stuff. So how they, big they, is they this burrow them. this U-shaped thing is compared to say your hand? Oh, uh, it depends on the size of the larvae. Late late in the year when when they're hatching. Mm, I I'm not really sure. Small, I, you know. So yeah, well, Hal's saying it, about it, the size of a quarter. Not less than a quarter. No, no, dime, no, no. A dime. dime, dime. More of like a dime. You talking about like the diameter? Their habitat, or? yeah. Their yeah. little, their little U-shaped uh, vortex tunnel feeding tube. Uh, I don't know how big around it would be. Yeah, I mean, every I mean, one is different would, depending on on right. the stage. Yeah, right, right. That's you're really gonna cool. Have, you're gonna have a lot of different sizes what a, and crazy cool know, bug. And you know they they live. I'm pretty sure hexagenia larvae live for multiple years. So you're going to have like like Hal said, you're going to have a bunch of different sizes all mixed together. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they don't all pop at once. Like I thought no. they they all would like they're out of the same freshman class and they all come up <laughs> together. Nope. nope, doesn't work like that. And then okay, so and, out of the same out of the, what did you call it? The broods, the cohort, or what was it? There was a term you used to to describe like the collection of of eggs. Oh, a clutch. A clutch. clutch. So out of the clutch, um, some may be predisposed to hatch a year before others. Is that right? We, we don't know what controls it. That's What a trip. What do you think, Hal? I think that, that most of them are going to mature enough to hatch out if they were laid. The following year. The following year. That's right. Okay. So there's, it's a progression. Now, some of them may search, or seek, search and, and seek deeper water. And... Consequently, the water temperature is not going to be right for them. They're not going to come to the surface. But way back in a cove where it's maybe a lot more water, mm-hmm. 
and it's a little calmer, you're going to find that there. Is this why? Is this why you think the hatch is going to be soft this year? Because the water, the, there's ten more feet of water above. That's right. Where they're normally at this time of year. I think the water temperature has a lot to do with everything that's going on. Yeah. With all aquatic insects. Mm-hmm. Well, the summer solstice yeah. too is a big is a big part of it, right? The how uh, how long? Yeah, I I would say how's right. It's just more well, of the temperature, not the not the solstice. I would say. And the reason I that say that temperature controls. The reason I say that is because a lot of. Um, a lot of anglers are trying to time this hatch, right? They think that it's going to happen every year on this date, or but it yeah, doesn't. June, it, it June moves, 15th. Yeah. It moves around all the time, and so I'm... Yeah, good luck with you that. set your clock hey, to Listen, it. anglers are always that way. They always think, oh, everything is wonderful. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, but it's not. I mean, yeah. some days you got it, some days you don't. And yep. some days you catch them, and some days you don't. Yep. But it, all of it is relative to the to the temperature that's going on and what the insects are doing okay. below the surface. So let me ask you guys this question: Let's say that they dump a shit ton of water, it drops ten feet, it warms up, and there's is it, could there be a hatch in September? There could be. I mean, there could be. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, if you got I've anything heard that to base actually it on, before. if you've got if you've got previous situations that you can base it on, yeah, we could we could say that. I don't. Okay. I'm a fisherman, and I I know that when the water's cold in this in, in Elmanor especially, which is basically my home water because I spend so much time mm-hmm. up there, but I know that guy everybody's out there at certain times of the year, and there's a lot of guys that are coming in and with their float tubes and they're dragging all their equipment and hey, got to have five rods with them and Don't, everything else. I'm taking that personal, how? Huh? Well, <laughs> <laughs> ho ho. <laughs> Uh, There's already been uh, some some guys seeing hex on the after bay coming off, and that just goes right to what you were saying. That, that's warm water, right? I mean, yeah, that water's a yeah. lot warmer than anywhere yeah, else. That's right. So and, they're they're popping. And we've had some sunny weather, but it's also these these hexes are in deeper water than than what they would normally be in. You know, they're they're, they're seeking a bottom that's fairly muddy, mm-hmm. and and the mud is fairly close to shore, which is going to be a mm-hmm. lot colder still. So you need a little more warmth. What are we looking at temp wise? I don't. I don't deal with temperature. Some guys take a temperature. I know you said that last time, and I can never get that out from you. And they bring it up, and they look at it. And what good does it do you? Observe. Observation is is going to be twenty times better than some temperature. And make notes, and then look at your notes the previous, the following year, the following year after that, the following year after that. Eventually, you're going to see a pattern. Maybe there's a pattern. Maybe there isn't. I mean, I go out, and I feel strongly that. You know, if we've had a couple of real nice warm evenings, that you're going to get some hatch. But if you've had cold weather up until that point, I have I got no question for it. I mean, you're just out there taking up space, waiting for something to happen, and there's no there's no scientific. I don't think I don't think there's any scientific deal here. We know that it's just warmth of the weather, or warmer weather, or is going to create a bigger hatch. Um, and I, well, there. You go ahead. I'm there, sorry. There actually, there is. Um, there's something called degree days, where you can calculate out. They use it a lot in agriculture for determining like when their when plants should flower, when they should reach certain stages, and what they do is they they use this idea to apply pesticides at the point where it'll protect the plant the most and damage the insects the most. And the way it works is like for every day at a certain 
you have to accumulate so many temp so many temperature days and so you basically you calculate you combine like say today was 60 today was 60 degrees you know day one tomorrow's 30 degrees but there's a magic number once you reach that that you will expect that the the um the plants will flower or something like that this is called a phenology and you can if you if you're careful enough and you know your plants you can match degree days to insect emergences it's not 100% foolproof you but, talked about this with the poppies and the caddis the hydrosarchy yeah, mm. yeah 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 for instance out here is when you see California poppies blooming in Chico. Um, Hydrocyche californica has started emerging uh, down in the high flow section of the Feather River. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I'm originally from back east, so I don't know my plants out here as well as I used to, or as well as I well, knew different. them back east. So I used to have a lot more flowers that I would able be able to know like when i see for instance when i saw james rocket you know it was just a it's just a wildflower that grows in the dish back east i knew you know the sulfurs were about to come off hmm. you know on the spring crease but you know there's there is an underlying thing going on and hell's exactly right you need to be observing with the temperatures and you need to keep track of like what happens year to year to but pay you attention. But you can't set your watch to it. I mean, no, right, no, right. No, you can't. But anglers set your love watch to think to they can. <laughs> yeah. well, you can't set your watch to it. You know, every angler thinks he can set his watch to it, but those are the guys that come in and I, hey, what happened? I don't know. You know? <laughs> well, the, so this, <laughs> this begs the question for this, well, this one's for Hal. So, Hal, like in these situations, how are you guys, like your buddies, your circle of buddies that you fish with? consistently up there do you guys share information a lot are you talking like, i don't fish with hey, anybody up there you don't <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, okay no i mean first of all the guys that have some knowledge don't like to fish with anybody else they basically stay to themselves because they know that you know you take a guy out there and the next day you got 30 guys out there that are not your friends but the friend of the guy that you brought out there. right so you pretty <laughs> much you know you use your head and that, Tom Momenier, for instance, when he had a fly shop up there, you know, I used to share information with him all the time. And then I found everybody standing on the same rock that I wanted to stand on from the night before. And I said, how'd you find that rock? Well, Tom told me about it. <laughs> <laughs> After that, you know, you start to learn like a fish test, you know, through experimentation. Bam. I'm so it's just basically it. you're just out there putting eyes on the water. Yeah. You essentially. Put your, you put your time in yeah. and you put it in when it's right. And you'll know whether it's right because if you're uncomfortable, the fish are going to be uncomfortable because it's mm. cold. And if the wind is blowing like crazy, things are not going to happen. They're going to happen maybe back in a cove that's sheltered. But they're not going to happen in open water. Like everybody in the last couple of years, I see more people fishing open water. And nobody's catching anything. What about the coves? I'm going past coves, got hatches going off like crazy, and nobody's in there. And that's all on the east side of the lake. You know, so I mean, we're we're there's nothing here that you can, you know, draw a line and right. say everything is going to happen right. within that line. No, 
it's yeah I, i've been doing this for too long but this thing could just it literally could kick off in mid-july and go till mid-august if the water is really or if we get some really warm weather mm-hmm. and no wind mm-hmm. yeah that's possible hmm. anything's possible or not at all or not at all everything's possible you know what's going to hmm. happen at some point when it's hot if it, if there's a lot of cold weather and all of a sudden you get some hot weather do you know boom one surefire way to know when the hatch is going to be awesome if my truck is parked in front of my house, yeah, that's right. then, <laughs> then it's it's going big up there. That's right. Yeah, it's going big up there. Like, yeah. and uh, where is it in the Great Lakes that it's so big that the it gets picked up on radar? Is that where? Is that yeah. right? No shit. Even yeah. East Coast Damn. people would know that. Isn't that amazing? That's yeah. insane. I heard the West were. were that's like tons of. That's tons of bug flesh, just in the air. Yeah, um, Alma, or the after bay has a ton of hex, but no fish eating them. It's the craziest hatch I've ever seen, but there's no fish really keyed in on them, and I don't know what why that is. Maybe I the fish aren't there. That's yeah. Mm. You think you might? I mean, but, I I can tell you right now that at Fall River, I've, I've seen hex hatches there that are just blinding storms of them, mm. you know, coming off, and that water is protected, you know. By the toolies and stuff along the side. Mm-hmm. When these mm-hmm. blinding hatches come off, it's usually when the toolies are fairly close together, so they're offering a lot of shelter from the wind mm. and stays right. warmer for a longer period of time. But mm. these, that, those are, you know, you're, you're splitting hairs when you start talking about what's going to be happening and right. what's going to be great. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're not in a boat and you haven't got your fly rod with it and you haven't got some good hex imitations, you know, you're out of it no matter what. If you're yeah. out there and it doesn't happen, you're still out of it, but you will be into it when they start happening. You know, this is the difference between fishing and basically... Uh, catching fish. Well, yeah. And catching fish, you're talking about catching fish. You know. <laughs> Joe, I didn't, we didn't really add, do you, I don't know, do you have time to stay on or do you want to, do you have anything to add that you want to add that we didn't talk about? Uh, not really. Oh. Okay. Well, thank. Hey, thanks a lot for coming on and, and chatting with us. We really, hey, really. Hey, Joe, I'd like to fish with you sometime. Really appreciate it. I'd love it. to yeah. get together with you. Sure, so, I'd uh, like to meet you sometime, Hal. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, most of my stuff and everything in my book that I've written on on stillwater fly fishing, it's all common sense. Yeah. You know, Joe has a lot of that. Yeah. Well, we all do. If we <laughs> we get involved with insects and we get involved with fishing, you have to have common sense. If yeah. you don't have common sense, you might as well stay home. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. Well, Joe, thank you. Play yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Joe, thanks so much, man, for you. coming on. Thanks. Joe. All right. Hey, take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Bye. All right. Um, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I had, I had no idea half the stuff he said was like, I thought that they emerged straight up out of the mud and just went straight to the surface, but no, you're saying they go they up and down. And, well, what happens is okay. you're, you're trying to free themselves the shuck a little bit and build a little bit of space in mm-hmm. there with the oxygen yeah. as they're moving. I wonder if they're also, um, you know, when you when you dive, right? You go down a hundred feet or whatever. You have to stop every now and then to uh, pressurize. Yeah. I wonder if they're doing a little bit bit of that too. I don't think so. I think no. it has a lot to do with clearing themselves of the shuck and well, getting ready to bust that shuck yeah. open. And, yeah. and in Almanor, it's like thirty feet sometimes that they have to swim. But a place yeah. like Fall River, it's only six six feet deep, yeah maybe you know and they're dealing with current too so yeah. they're coming up and then kind of being washed down well, most the river. of the time in fall river when the hexes come off there's very little current where they're coming off really those little fingers that go back in that's where you see them come off and i mean it's a blizzard 
back in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's tough because, you know, you're you're dealing with nature. I mean, you know, you're trying to imitate nature, and when you got all these bugs coming off, I mean, that fish is. Uh, and it's getting dark. A, well, the fish is an entomologist. Which makes it even an entomologist, and he is studying. Yeah, he's been studying these bugs his whole life, and so when they start coming off, he knows they're coming off. He knows where they're going to come off, and he's going to be there. And that's what I'm trying to tell you guys: is that some of these coves and some of these waters that these guys are fishing, oh yeah, you're going to get a few bugs coming off. But when you see a lot of boats in one particular area, it's because maybe something came off the night before two days or a week before or something mm-hmm. they're all there waiting for it to happen again and it might not and it might mm-hmm. not yeah but if you get in your boat and you go and you kind of shut it off before you get into a cove and then kind of idle in or even paddle in mm-hmm. and watch what's going on if you're in there for a couple of a couple of minutes and you don't see anything start well, it up get the hell out of there. yeah I, I agree with that because i the last couple of years i've noticed that big time where we've been there consecutive nights and one night it was just crazy or you hear somebody oh you should have been here the night before right. and then yeah. they're there sitting there and it just doesn't happen but then you talk to your buddy who was around the other point they in, slide, in, a, in a cove that's, that's yeah. it right there a point yeah a point of land usually that's where the hexes will come off well it makes inside it of kind of makes sense because that's a gathering of mud that's gonna and it's a gathering of weather and climate yeah the sun is hitting that water mm. for a lot longer period of time and it's warming things up and that's what the hexes are feeling down there. and they feel these different pressures and they feel extreme pressure sometimes. That's why they don't come up. Or they're feeling pressures that are conducive to what they're looking for to come out. I'm not an entomologist. I mean, I'm maybe the first one to tell you that. I'm a fisherman. I see things. I compare them together. And that's how I get I wonder my if we can get a GoPro shot down there in the mud of these bugs popping out and, and working their way That'd up. Be if it would be too... If it, if you know, I went... Enough. I actually... Um, I was by the, the dock... Or the the ramp by the the Jared Hall Cove, and then there's that there's that kind of like side dirt road that goes off. I was showing you how um, I was in there one night, and I got some GoPro footage, but it was late at night, and I had I shined my like my camera light down, you know, the flashlight down in the water above it, and then had the GoPro on the other side, and I caught a few coming up, and it looked pretty cool, but it was a little grainy, so I didn't post it. Yeah, I mean, what you see with the naked eye. Is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then when it goes into the mind center here, the computer, and it's stored in there, that's what flat fishing is all about. It's not just reading about it in a book yeah. and go try to try to figure it out. You you figure it out by being there. And every day that you're on the water, you're one day better than the next guy that's coming out that's there right. that wasn't there. That's right. And that's exactly what this whole thing is about, fly fishing. And I try to get that in the book here. I, it's like when I'm tying my flies. I need a fly that sits on the surface for a long period of time out there. Because there might not be a fish within six feet of that fly and doesn't even know it's there. But he's cruising into that area where it is. And then he picks it up. I mean, guys, they cast. They pick it up. They cast over here. They yeah. pick it up. They cast. Leave it set there for a second. Yeah. You might have pulled it away from one of the biggest fish you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, they they eat when there there isn't any flies coming off. You know they'll eat that dry. They're just they're looking they're, at her, going around right. cruising. Are you, um, so are you fishing nymphs the whole time? Are you fishing dries the whole time? Are you mixing it up? I'm mixing it up. I'm Can you talk about up. like when you start doing nymphs versus dries and what start, what the I trigger start doing is to switch? When there's nothing going on. When okay. when nothing going on, being nothing there's no top water stuff. No okay. top water stuff. Okay. When all the guys are sitting in a boat eating their dinner or 
yeah. drinking beer or whatever. You know, that's what I'm with the sinking line. And mm-hmm. usually a medium sink and a long leader, but a weighted fly. Okay. The weighted fly gets down, and when you pull it, it's going to come vertical. Up like a hex yeah, fly. It's going to come to the it line of, of least sense. resistance, mm-hmm. which is the floating line that's sitting way up here. Eventually, it's going to curl over. It's going to kind of uh, uh, kind of rainbow. Yeah, like arc and then. Yeah, arc. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. But when you see all these flies that I tie, and you watch, look at the ones that they're tying in the stores. The guys in the store are tying them because they got to crank out 30 to 40 flies every hour to make Mac happy at the store <laughs> or make the guys in the fly shop happy. I don't. I got to crank out only for myself and maybe somebody that's with me or two guys are with me or whatever it is. I don't have to do that. But when I tie a fly, it's going to be exactly like the real thing because I've studied the real thing and what it looks like in the water, and I've used the materials that match it. Not just, oh, I got some yellow deer here, that color, we'll put it on. No, it's marabou, and it's that color. What color? Maybe it's an olive brown. Maybe it's an olive yellow. You've got your book open. Um, I've what, got it open what, page, what page is this so people know? Page 91 in the book. 91, and this shows yeah, every single stage it. of these hex flies, right? Well, the hex flies, if the nymph is there, mm-hmm. and then the hex fly, adult. Yeah. And as we go through there. Now, the, the nymph is tied on a hook, okay? So the hook I is... I hope high. so. The hook, no, no, no. <laughs> Some of them are not, and we'll get to that. Is it a tube fly or something? Yeah, it is a tube fly. Why not? All right, that works. Why would, why would you tie a fly that's three, four inches long and put a hook that's three or four inches long inside of it, which weighs as much as that table does over Oh, there? yeah, you showed me one of those flies. They're pretty you cool. Know, so And and and, and, then, and that that hook is not going to be good because the fish can get leverage in his mouth. Yeah, pop it right it's too out. Big and knock it right out of there. Yep. And a lot of them, mm. when they crush down on it, they feel that hook because it doesn't feel right, and they're ejecting it. When you're lifting up, that's how you miss them. Okay. So you're now, saying the smaller smaller hooks, more hookups. So here's the here's the deal. Here's what I'm saying. Damn you how. Now I gotta tie my own frigging hexflies. Here's what you gotta do. You gotta f- get some wire. And Collier's hardware has real small wire down there, plastic wire. And inside of it is a copper wire. Okay. What you do is you cut that wire to the size of the fly that you want to tie. Then you pull the wire out of it a little bit. And then you attach the wire that's on the inside of it to your, to your hook, to your vise. Yep. Then you tie your fly on the tube, which has got copper wire on the inside of it. And when you're done with the fly, you just merely leave it in the vise, leave the wire in the vise, and just pull it off of there and put it in a little round box or a little square box or something in your vest. Now you've got a hex fly that will float all night long. You don't have to keep greasing it. It looks like the real thing. It's got all the materials in it. And whenever a fish touches that fly, he's going to get stuck because that fly is right at the posterior end and it's just waiting to stick in the fish's mouth. Okay? But with these big hooks, sometimes the fish will crush it and rotate that hook sideways. Hmm. What good is that going to do you? What if you want to fish in a merger? Well, if you fish in a merger, you can fish just the same way. Yeah. But... From there, you could go to the adult, and you could fish the tube on the adult. And that the next page, which is 92, shows a picture of an adult hex um, that's been tied, and it's tied. The body is tied with deer hair. 
And what you do is you just pull it to your head along the edge of the body and you spiral up, up the body with thread, yellow thread, the same color as the, as the mirror moon. Then you cut off all the additional bucktail that you got or deer hair at the back, except for a couple fibers to the left and a couple fibers to the right, and you're in, you're in like Flynn. Okay, I got, I got a couple. Oh, you had a question. Well, I just thought it was interesting that he's using an intermediate line early in the evening to, to fish because a lot of times my mind wants to say, oh, they're, they're still coming up out of the mud, and the fish are still down deep. So I want to fish something heavy and get down to them. Well, you do, and, but whenever you fish something heavy, you lose movement. And the thing that about a hex, most importantly, is its movement. It's it's a kind of a gyration like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. almost of of uh, and I'm making hand motions here for you folks that are listening at home or in your office or in your car. It looks like but, you're doing the toilet. worm dance on the well, floor, but uh, it's straight up. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's undulation. It's, I call it undulation. Yeah. yeah, and it's just an undulation as it moves up in the water. And as we were talking earlier, uh, I'm sorry, I. I'm terrible on name. Joe. 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 He's a genius when it comes to etymology. He really is. And that's, he's a guy that I'd like to spend some more time talking to. Yeah. And I've, all the things that he's going to talk about, I've seen firsthand. And I can't tell you what I saw, but I could tell you what it, what it was like. doing. Yeah. You know, from a flyer's standpoint, that's all yeah. I care about. Yeah. What Joe it look should like? charge people, anglers, to go out and fish yeah. with them just mm-hmm. so they can tell them that stuff. That's right. Yeah. And see that. And see that undulation as it goes on. And as it undulates, it's also developing oxygen. And the oxygen is creating space between the shuck and the adult on the inside. So that when it gets to the surface, it's like a little balloon that's overinflated. It blows. And Mm. when it blows, out comes an adult hex. They're really crazy. So I'm going to... I think I guess it's all about numbers games when I when I'm out there because I'm cruising fast along the shore with yeah. these heavy lines. Sometimes it's usually type three. Yeah. And I didn't know. Uh, you, okay, wait, wait, wait. wait. Before, before and I touch we, a lot of fish, but I, now I'm going to start uh, yeah, applying want, different techniques. That's to, what I was going to ask you guys. Is there's more than one way to skin a cat? Because I've seen I've seen light light rig setups be effective, and I've and then your method, Nick, how you taught me. Um, I want to, can you guys talk about your methodologies? Like the, the, the line and Nick, you go first, but the, 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 the rods you use, the tube you use or boat you use and the leader, the leader formula to get down to the fly and talk about that. And then we'll compare and contrast well, how, how, what Hal's approach is. Mine, mine just is simple. I come from fishing shad through spring and I, I have these lines that i'm not going to use anymore and they're perfect for a lake so i just take them out with me and they're i troll for a lake. well to me <laughs> no. to me that they're, they're not gonna they're gonna sit there and collect dust so i take them to the lake and and they i catch fish with them so i've, I've, I've seen them i've got two lines a floater and a sinker and the sinker is an is intermediate a medium sink intermediate or in medium no, it's, a sink. it's a medium sink so it sinks you know what's the, like this how many what is it i have no it's just for a second. I have no idea. Okay. You know, you're supposed to know this stuff. No, you I don't. Know that shit. Sinks. I know. All I have to do is know myself. What it but know what thyself, I want to do Nick. is I want to get that fly well below with the leader. I'm going to use a smaller butt section. I don't want to have a butt section like I'm going to be fishing for the adult. So I've got maybe a 15 pound butt section, which is clear amnesia, and then I'm going to go from there to the to the 12 or 12 pound test amnesia and then to the 10 pound test leader control or uh, you know as i go down 
and they're all going to get progressive. 15, use, 12, 10. And they're all going to get progressive. Are you halving it every section? What's that? Are you halving it every section? No. No, okay. No, it could be three inches longer than the previous section of a book. Okay, okay. Or it could be six inches longer. It doesn't make any difference as long as you can handle it with whatever rod. Are you just kind of eyeballing it? I'm eyeballing it. Okay. I have, I have no tape measure in my boat. Okay. But you're, you, but the main, the the takeaway though for for Rich P, since you asked the question about the leader formulas on the Facebook group, um, you're tapering it down. You're going from 12, well, that, 15, 12, 10, and then to That's what? Right. And you're, you're at, we're at 10, now what? Eight, six, Eight, six five, five, four. We're talking poundage. Three. Four, three yeah. pound. Well, it's uh, marked X. Okay, and it's all, is, are you just using double surgeon knots on everything? No, never. To connect it? I what never you use, use a surgeon knot. It's a cutting knot. Never, never. Damn. You put a, a surgeon knot in a vise and you pull on it, you're going to watch it. Eat the material that it's pulling against, and it's going to no cut shit. it. No shit. Okay, so okay. what are you using? What knot? Blood knot. Blood oh, knot. my God. Really? For a three-pound, four-pound? Yes. That's got to be a bitch to tie. No, it's not. No? You just it make it a little me, longer. Listen, don't be so damn cheap with your leader material, Chad. Oh, no. no. I'm, it's not that, man. I <laughs> no, can't see at, shit. Guys, guys, take it two inches out, and they're trying to get a blood knot tied. Pull it out there and get it on there and, and use all the fingers of both hands and go around it and tie it off. And when you're done, Use make sure both ears thumbs. are coming out in a different direction like that. You All better right, do this so before you get out there because it's going to get dark. Hey, no, here's quick, another thing man. I'm going to Bring you. an extra one. When it comes to cutting them off, I got a Walton stone hanging on a lanyard from me. I reach up and I cut it right up against the knot. Click on the bottom, click on the top. Okay. All right. And then how long is it overall? Overall leader length? Cares. 12 feet 15 feet probably 20 12 probably 15 14 12 okay it's not nine i would never fish a nine foot leader. it's I over do. 10 though nine foot leader is something i would use with a dry the shorter the leader for a big bulky dry yeah or a bass bug and a longer leader for something that's got some weight in it yeah and kick and you want it to go down so what you just described then is for your nymphs subsurface subsurface yeah okay that's right now when the nymph comes up, after it comes up, you've got the emerger, and then you've got the adult on the surface. So you've got all these phases there. And that one leader will cover all those phases. Mm -hmm. We'll cover the dry, and we'll cover the emerger, and we'll cover the when he's swimming up towards the surface. So you use that same leader on dries, you're saying? Same leader on dries. All I do is shorten the tippet section a little bit. Instead of having a tippet section that's seven or eight feet yeah. long, I'll shorten it down to about three or four. Keep it. From and are you going to? Are you are you fishing like six to eight pound at the fly then at that point? Or are you no, adding? I'm going down. Okay. I'm going down. I don't want anything to appear. I don't want the diam the stiffness of the leader or the diameter of the leader to interfere with the way the fly sits on the surface. I want it to look completely natural. Got you. And okay. you don't grease your flies. Never grease anything. Never yeah. grease a fly line. Never grease your fly. I mean, you could grease a, a hex mm -hmm. if, if that's the type of a fly that you're fishing. But you're better off tying with material that doesn't need to be greased. What would be some examples of that in a hex context? Well, what I'm saying is... Foam, deer hair. If you're, if you're swimming in a, in a swimming pool with an inner tube, would you grease it? No, there's plenty coming off my body, though. <laughs> no, but would you grease it? Would I grease an inner tube? No. No, no. Would it's already grease? buoyant. It's already buoyant, so you That's don't your need point, to grease right? it. Okay. You don't need to grease it. 
It's like a dry fly. You don't right. need to grease the leader. Leave it alone. Okay, what, what, what weight rod? Four? Most of my stuff is with fours, yeah. So you're doing, okay. Yeah, I would, I would suggest six or, or seven okay. would be adequate. But with my style of casting and the way I like the fish, I'm using a, I usually like the four. And so I'm either using a clear line or I'm using, you know, the regular, regular floating line, which has been dyed black. So that bass setup that you brought out with your clear line, that's the same one you use for hex. That's right. No shit. Yeah, in shallower water. When okay. You get, when you get into the weed beds. Okay. And stuff. Further on out, I'm going to a gray line, which is an old master line, and it's called an MS or a medium sink. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that one sinks a little bit faster, but it sinks the same all the way through because the sinking material is not in the surface. It's in the core. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Look at look at Chad. You're, you're, so you're saying the the weight distribution yeah. inside the fly is either or inside the lines either in the middle of it or on the, the inside yeah, inside where it. the core would be. Yeah. That's right, the core. Yeah. Okay. So the sinking material is applied to the core of that line. Okay. And the thinner it is, all the all the core and all the one down is the same. Okay. Inside. So if you've got a smaller diameter tip, it's going to sink faster in the tip. Mm-hmm. Then it will in a heavier section over here. And most people, well, if it's a heavier section, won't it have more? No, it's because it's got the it's same got amount bigger of diameter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got the same amount of sinking material in it mm-hmm. as it does on the tip. Mm-hmm. And those were master lines that we made in our plant at Sunset Line Company. So I got an advantage on everybody right off the bat because I have lines that I make for certain situations. But all of those lines were still, they were all the same. They were made the same, and so they, they sink the same. And that's what you're after, is you're after a fly that sinks faster than the tip of the line, mm-hmm. but it's one sinking also, but it's not sinking as fast. So that when you pull it, it's going to come to the line of least resistance, which is whatever that sinking line is in the water. Are you trolling or are you Never. casting from a stationary Always position? Always casting from a stationary position. Okay. One, Why? if you're trolling, <laughs> you, don't know, you don't know how you're, you're going to hook the fish how you're setting up with it. When I'm, when I'm down like this and I'm pulling that line and I'm manipulating down that. And you're doing a phase, people listening, he's doing a yeah. finger, finger walk retrieve well, the finger, basically. The, finger. the line is laying over the top of the fingers of my right hand mm-hmm. and it's the th- three longest fingers. They're all mm-hmm. about the same because I stretch them out every night. before. Mm-hmm. No, they're laying there. And so I ring the fly o- line over the top of it so there's no squeaking. The line doesn't squeak in your hand. Yeah, we talked about that. Which transfers yep. noise mm-hmm. into the water. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing it in like that. All right. Now, when you set up on it, when a fish grabs a hold of the fly, the average guy goes, oh, I got one. That's me. Yeah. Well, I just go. Like you strip right set. Low, low of the water. You strip just, set. No, I don't even strip. I just take the rod real quick like. Oh, I see like what you're that. saying. Okay. Okay. Now, if it's a big fish, the fish is going to take it. <laughs> Yep, take, like that. take line quick. And he'll bend the rod. All right, so he the set he's doing, basically, for you guys listening, he's not going 12 to 6. He's going it's a sidearm three to nine. Set. At right? Best. Three to nine? Yeah, maybe yeah. three to nine. But it's, it's low. It's basically parallel it's with the water. Off his right, he's right-handed, so he's going, yeah. he's setting to his right. He's low. Stay low. Like you're going to do a backhand serve for tennis. That's right. Right? Absolutely. Backhand retrieve, I That's should say. That's right. Yeah. But it's, why would you start your racket up here when you could start it down here? And that's right. where the line, the rod is. Okay. Okay. And then the 
by the way the fish feels, that tells you how big he is and what's going to happen. And you're already anticipating things that are happening. Mm -hmm. And so you start stripping in and getting the rod more towards in front of you, but still low to the water. Whenever I see a guy with a rod way up like that fighting a fish, I'm going to just laugh myself. I'm, I'm that <laughs> he's asshole. Not putting, he's not putting any pressure on the fish. I'm that asshole, hell. No, no, but what I'm saying is, is that here and here, I could take, take you and you can go to the middle of the room over there, grab my fly line, and you could do anything you want in the upper position. Yeah. But when it gets to a position down in here, you can't. Yeah, that's uh, we. So I had a, a guide in uh, Alaska, and we, he's talking about the cone of power, and I think that's what you're kind of alluding to. Yeah, whatever it is. Is man. basically it's the angle of the rod, and you know, relative to where that the end point is, where the tension is. And you've got a lot more power down where you're saying versus over your head is what he's saying. He showed if, you, me. if you think about it, you're pointing the reel more towards the fish. You're pointing the butt more towards the fish. And you have that angle to the side of you, not above you. If you're going above you, you have to reach much further, right? Because yeah. you got your head in the way. you got your shoulders in the way. But yeah. if you go from the side, you, you have, it's just a quicker, you have it's all quicker that set movement. Too. To, yep. Now we're thinking, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm after. That's why I'm after the people that I'm talking that we're talking to here. And I want you to look. If you don't have a book, get one of these books, go down to the library and see if they've got it, or go to Fish First or go to the Flush Up and Running. They're on Amazon too. Yeah, go to Amazon. Get the book and read it. It, it. it literally, and I've said this every single time you've been on, it is the Bible for Almanor if you guys are, want to be effective. Any still water or flat yeah. water. Do you, you want to hear how I fish for Hex, huh? Yeah, I do. I was going to ask it, you. It involves a hazy IPA, Sierra Nevada. <laughs> no, no. No, I just, I'm, when it goes comes to the hex, I get out there with my my float tube. Usually it's a pontoon boat, and that's the best way. I've been out there in a boat, and I, I just don't do as well. But if I've got my rod tips in the water, and I'm kick trolling, I'm catching fish. And the reason that it's so important to have your tips in the water is so that you feel and the that. flies in the water. The rod that, tip is in the water. You help. feel that bite. Don't get dirty. You feel that bite. And, but uh, what, I'm, what I'm doing is when I move to a spot, I know that at that spot in a 360 degrees because back in 19... Yeah, you saw the maps 13, with all the springs. I saw where it was. <laughs> I saw where I wanted to be. So I'm going to go to that same spot. I'm, I'm not going to mess around with... I'm going to put a GPS unit on your little float tube. Yeah, yeah, while I'm drinking, I get exercise too, kicking in the kicking in the water back and forth. So well, Okay, so Nick, talk I about... Two, two, two glass holders right here in front of me. Talk so. about your... Your your rod and uh, you know line line rod line leader setup. Again, I just grab my shad rigs, which are seven weights, eight weights. Mm -hmm. They're heavy rods, mm -hmm. and you can you can fish those for the hexes. Yep, mm -hmm. yep. And so I have my shad lines on them. I grab He's them. You, Nick. I, I grab them. I put a nine foot leader on it. With 3X tippet. Like a tapered leader with yep. the 3X tippet yep. on that? Okay. And you tie it on with a clinch knot. So nope. overall. No, there's a blood knot there. There's a <laughs> blood knot I there. did. I, I was doing surgeon's knots until today. Jesus, you should have, the look you had on your face when I said surgeon's <laughs> knots, I thought you were going to come if over that, the desk. I, I wish I could magnify these knots. Which blood I have. Knots. <laughs> any yeah. blood, any knot. Yeah, they're just easier to tie. watch it, how it breaks. Yeah. I mean, it starts eating itself. The monofilament starts eating itself, so you need a knot. God damn. It's not going to eat itself. And blood knots. Listen. I spend most of my life, luckiest guy in the world, I get up in the morning, I drive from Santa Rosa to Petaluma, get out of my car, go into my office, I've got a line testing machine there, I've got braking machines, I've got, you name it, everything is available to me. And if it isn't there, all I gotta do is open the doors and walk out into the plant, and there's 
you know, 1,100, 1,200 winders out there that are making fly lines or making core stock and pick out the core stock I want and make it, take it to the dye room and dye it whatever color I want to and come back. I was the <laughs> luckiest guy in the world. I don't have that available to me any longer. But I can still dye lines in a pan in my kitchen here in Forest Ranch. And I can still take the leader material and dye it right here in Forest Ranch if I want to. Mm. But the knots that I, do, that I use, and I, Lefty Cray came and with Stu App and had lunch with me in Petaluma one day. And after lunch, they were just excited to see the line breaking machines that we had there. Lefty Cray walked out of there like a cat with his, a wet cat with his tail between his legs. All the knots that he said were phenomenal. They weren't even testing even half of it. If it said six pound test, he said it was a six pound test tippet. It broke at three, three and a quarter. Everything. Yeah, everyone has, every knot has a percentage. And if it's not tied right, you're going to not have the right percentage. 100% is what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I've got knots that are 100%. Guys that tie blood knots and they don't use six turns on either side. Do you use six turns on even even if it's like 20, 20 pound versus three pound? Twenty pound, and you can get away with it. Like what I'm talking is a just last that section. In the, that ten to three pound range is where you're doing six turns. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. if you've got it in, <laughs> if you've got it in a ten pound, yeah, you do it in a three pound also because it's going to help the three pound. But I'm not going to make it any stronger. It's still going to be three pound test, right. but it's going to be a true three pound test. It's not going to be one and a quarter. You know, dry or yeah. wet when two people are pulling it. Do you? But, uh, I'll go ahead. Stu Hap and Lefty Cray used to to get Sicilian scales, and they used to put overhand knots in it and make loops in it, and then stand back and pull it and watch where it breaks. How unscientific is that? Do you do clinch knot knots to your flies, or do you do loops? I use a clinch knot. Really? Yeah, but it's an improved clinch. Okay. When I go through yeah. the eye, uh, you know, go through the the inside, I go through it a second time. And that's it. And it's that second time that offers a buffer inside all those lines to keep it from breaking. It doesn't take away movement of your fly? No, not at all. Because you were talking about movement being critical in your, your retrieve. Is. The movement is going to be straight ahead all the time. In fact, a lot of times when I take my flies and I'm tying them, and I'm tying them on hooks, I bend the eye up a little straight. bit. Straight. Not straight, but not down like this. Most eyes, down eyes. Yeah, they've got a bad like down. This. Yeah. They're way down. Okay. I like it out here. That's about where I like it right there, especially with the knot I'm using. And I do that right in my vise before. If it breaks, it was a bad hook to begin with. And if you're doing mustad hooks, you're going to break every other one just about before you're going to find a good one. Doing the same thing. Now, why would a hook do that? It's because it's in, improper temperature, temperature or tempering of that hook. But with all cocks and or uh, uh, vineyards, vineyards in England are the best hooks I've ever seen in my life. And I don't know who makes them. Vine vineyard is probably is sup supervising the making of those hooks. They are needle points. They don't break. The eye is in a perfect position. It's the perfect hook. And why other people don't say, that's what I want? Because they don't know any better. You know? You see, this is all the thing... Everybody is an expert at this stuff. Everybody. Not everybody. No, they're all experts, but they're not really. You got what I'm saying? Is everybody tries to put on that they're an expert at fly fishing. 
I wasn't an expert when I started. I never, even when I was doing it for 15 years, I wasn't an expert. That's why I still drink beer and fish shad lines. That's right. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is I have a, a key for everything. And fly fishing has been my life for a long time. Why would I put a bad tire on a race car? So we haven't talked about uh, the mo the motion of the hexes either, and because going back to, no going back to how I go back and forth along the bank line, um, I just cover a lot of water. But you you hear a lot of guys adamant about you're not going to catch a fish unless you're trolling towards the bank because that's where the bugs are going, right? Yeah, I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but well, if you get your float tube to sit this far off the water, that's where they're going eventually. What's this far? That's in the air. They're going to hatch out and they're going to fly. You see, you see what, what fishermen are saying. Well, they're going toward shore. But where do they go after they leave the water? They go up. They go I'm talking about from the mud to the to the surface. To the, so you're talking about the, the yeah. tree. Yep, yep. should be right there. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. Where do, you, where do you position your boat? If you're stationary, where do you position your boat in relation to the bank? And which, which way is the wind In which direction do you cast? I always have the wind at my back. Always. If okay. there's any wind, okay. So that's what that's what what's you know the so will the, let's say that the the wind's blowing at your back and you're facing the shore, you'll throw at the shore and retrieve absolutely at the shore and then retrieve away from the shore. That's right. Always just have your wind at the wind went back at the wind or wind at the back or whatever, and you're just slightly keep kicking to maintain your spot. Yeah, he's in a boat. He's anchored up. Oh, you're in a. That's right. You're in I've a. I've got a skiff? big anchor. I got a 25 pound anchor that's down there. Okay. That sucker ain't going nowhere. And I troll. I troll okay. myself away from the sun, so that when it gets dark and the dries start hatching, you can see. I control myself reflection. back into the light. Yep. Yeah. And I can well, see those. Do and I can Everybody see those bugs. That. I can you know, see my bugs. Yeah, you can work. see your bug and yep. and, and, and where the fish are rising on them. Yeah. Well, usually by that time I'm exhausted. I'm to, Nick, catching fish. Too many fish. I'm I get to the think hell out of, of situations there. where <laughs> that's a martini time. Why should I stick around out here when there's martinis to be had? You know? No, I mean I'm giving you a bad time today because you're you're, you're pointing at me. Uh, yeah, and you're right in front of me. You know? <laughs> and I, I give I give uh, everybody a bad time. No, I, I, no, that's fine. You know, let's I, let's have we a always, fish off. We're we gonna have a have fish off. Shit, yeah, dude. We're gonna have a fish off. I'm gonna be trolling my ass back and forth on the bank. And I'll just keep you anchored. You anchored up in your no. pram. If I'm, if I'm, you're gonna troll. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna compete against you if you're trolling because you're gonna cover more water. But I'm not after every fish. No, I know that, that I, I want to catch. I'm after fish. They're gonna bite my fly, so I feel them bite it. Yep. And I can play them off of a of a dead boat. Yep. And I'm going to do and, it. And I'll be honest. I see guys that do that can completely outfish everybody else, especially yeah. if they're on the right spot. They're using the right line. They're making the right retrieve. They have the right fly on. They're going to they're gonna do well. I see. And what I, are you doing? What are you doing when you're, when you're when that's drinking great? my beer? No. You should be drinking your beer <laughs> and watching where they're casting and how they're retrieving. Right. Get in the yeah, mic. Not, get in the mic. You know what? You could learn. You could learn. I do. I just from a lot of people. I just like to. I like. My well, I, I watch. I watch Frank Spiteri, um Last last season, he he and I ran into each other quite a bit, and um, he's stationary in a, in a float tube, but he pretty much does your your technique where he's he's casting and retrieving. He stays in the same spot all the time. He was roping just as many as I was. Yeah. And yeah. and you know. Yeah. Yeah. But. You know, what I'm saying is if somebody else is catching more fish, see what he's doing. Analyze it. Right. Dissect it. Sit there and watch and see what he's doing. I like sitting still 
Because number one, I've done enough of this. I, I don't need to be running all over the goddamn place and yeah. change the position of the boat. I, I'm sorry that I occasionally right. say what the hell's going on, but it's okay. Right. Nick cusses all the time. On hopefully, all of you are fishermen. <laughs> when you hook up on the bottom and you get snagged and you break something off, you probably, you know, say something to make yourself. Your feel countdown better. method is a little off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a little off. <laughs> so, but there's so many, th- so many different ways of doing things. Yep, and. This is the way I do it, and this is the way I've been doing it for a long time. And until somebody shows me a more interesting way or a better way of doing it, I'm going to keep doing it my way. And that's the way you are. Yep. And that's why I want to get out. I'm not going to compete with you. <laughs> oh, I want to see this. You don't want to I think it'd just be fun. It'd just be fun to get out there. Not, I'd love to watch you guys. It's just like a bass and fly tournament, you know, same yeah. thing. I don't even think I'd bring my rod. Oh, come on. You would, too. I might. You would I, too. Might. I might. But I, I just love fishing, and I love talking about it. And I hope you folks at home or people that are in your car or on your motorcycle or whatever are tuning in to us because you enjoy the batter between three guys yeah. that all fish, and they all fish differently. Some better and than others. And there's, you know, there's a little bit of everything to it. And that's what everything is about. If there isn't a little competition, it's not important. It's not no, fun. It's not. You know, it's like shooting pool. I can shoot pool all day long. I love it. It's a game. I used to make money. I used to live in Santa Cruz. I didn't have any income, and I wasn't old enough to get a job. What do you do? I left home because the gal next door got pregnant. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice. no. So I was, t- I was down there at Tonoc Cock Barriers. And I was taking the lunch money from these kids, you know, at lunchtime. And they're knocking up their moms. No, no, <laughs> no, no. But you, you see what I mean? You, you take the bet, what's, what's best for you, and you take and utilize it. Yeah. And we're all survivors. If we weren't survivors, we wouldn't be. Hal, I want a prediction. When do you think the hex is coming off? I have no prediction whatsoever. Oh, come on. Best guess. G.O.D. wouldn't even be able to tell you. And <laughs> He's I mean, not going to tell you. I've, I've fished with that guy most of my life, and he doesn't know. All right, I got another comment that I'm going to make about my, my night out there on the on the water, and I want to hear what you say about it. I bring two dry fly rods rigged up, ready to go. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, okay. All right, good. I can't afford it. Why do you do that, <laughs> I can't afford it. I'm glad you're rich. <laughs> why do you do that, well, That's why I bring Shad rods, because I well, can't because afford Well, because if one tangles up, why, lines. why would he spend the time untangling it in dark? It, yeah, you're, when you're fishing in the... Rod and go. Yeah, when you're fishing. That's my favorite night. 20 minutes. If you have yeah. 20 minutes of fishing, is those dries coming off at the end of the yeah. night. So if you're messing around trying to tie a yeah. knot, you're you're out of the game you're already. Out. It's called being... It's, it's max yeah. effort to fish for frenetically for fi- 25 minutes. So you got to get, you yep. got to have your shit tight. You, you'll hear me say that out of it every once in a while. I used to fish with a guy named Frank Britannia and he was aware of everything. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals and he was a pitcher and they call him toys in the attic because he didn't have anything left. I mean, there was nothing there but toys. Hit too many balls. In yeah. The head. Too many shots. Anyway, Frankie and I, we lived together. So we, uh, we shared a, house of mine and uh but frank always would would come up with some sort of a saying or something so you're learning something all the time from this guy i miss that guy so dang much so when you'd break off a fish and you and you'd be nothing with nothing on linear line you'd be like you're out of it 
I was out of it. You were out of it. I was totally out of it. That's right. And that's okay. I understand why I was out of it. A lot of people were out of it, and they don't understand why. <laughs> now, I don't want to be one of those guys. How do you use a net? Never. On the lake? Never. Do you, do you just you, uh, you unbutton them in the water then? Yeah. You don't All my flies are barbed, debarbed yeah. in advance. Well, it, I like to reach down. And what I do is I get my hand in the water so my hand gets to be close to the temperature of the water yeah. so that when I touch the fish, they don't bolt. Most people, from a dry uh, hand into the water, the fish just says, oh, see you later. But I'll, I reach down, and I, and I guide them over the top of my hand, and then I lift up very gently for them. Just give them a little tickle hold. on the anal fin? No, I just reach over, get a hold of that fly, and just push it in the opposite direction. And it comes right out. And then I'm locked. Lay it down, back down in the water, and away it goes. On you bring up a good point because the that lake and, and other lakes can, and waters can get warm, and the fish have a tough survival rate. Mm-hmm. If they're fighting them, to, you know, to exhaustion, and then you let them go in warm water, they're just going to yeah. belly up. So, That's right. if yeah. you're out there fishing, definitely fight them quick and and let them go quick. Yeah. Get that glory shot if you want, but don't don't if, if you're on the lake and you're comfortable there or not. Don't lollygag. There's never been a net made that doesn't hurt a fish when it goes into it, because the mu- mucus. Which is basically the protection. Skin, yeah. The protection. Yeah. Goes off onto the net and you get all that slime on the net and everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that fish that was dropped the slime on it is as good as dead because he can't function. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all things that why you don't touch a fish, you know, inside the mouth or any of that sort of thing. I, if I get a fish deep hook, I just take my finger and I reach up and reach in there and I push it one time. And if it doesn't come out, I just bring it up and I bite the fly, fly off. And leave it with the fly. I yeah. did that the other day, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd rather do that. I'd rather lose a fly than lose a fish. And those flies will work themselves out. And when they rust out or the fish will work them out. A lot of things happen. And it's okay to keep a fish, you know. As long, I don't know, I think the big browns you let go. But the, the smallmouth and the rainbows are fantastic to the eat. Small mouth you know? The smallmouth. If you eat the smallmouth. Right. I mean, there isn't a fish alive that's any better than that. You know, I caught mostly smallmouth last year, it seems like, and I didn't keep, you were, keep you any. You might have been tight to the bank. I'm going to, yeah, I was. I was in you like tend 10 to get feet of water. more rainbows if you move out into the ship, what we call the shipping lanes, and the get shipping. out to that 30, okay. 15 plus depth of water. Yeah. You oh, yeah, it? we didn't We didn't actually talk about water depth oh. in terms of fishing too much. Unless you're on a spring, right, Hal? You, if you're on a if spring. I know, if I know there's a spring there. Then I'm gonna I'll stay on it a lot longer because the fish go there, and they especially during the summer. Yeah, during the summer months. Yeah. and there's a lot of things that happen during the springs that don't happen for running around it. But you take park your boat as close to the spring as you can, and just fish 360. So you'll you, will you park directly over the spring and then cast yeah, out like a donut? The donut ring all away from the spring, right? Because they're all maybe this one here likes it a little colder. Right, than that one right, right. Here. And so there, there's a, there's a, there's a, if you imagine like a thermocline that's circular around where the spring is, they're going to, they're going to move in and out of that zone. Dark deal along the bottom. About dark what? uh, Dark, a dark hole. Okay. That's a spring. That's a spring. Okay. That's a spring. It'll always appear almost blackish color. Okay. And just back up. When I see that, I either park right there. Yeah. And then fish three, six. So it's different on fall. If on the fall river, the springs look like just cleared out sand. They look like these huge reds, pretty yeah, much just right. cleared out sand. Well, because um, the white. sand's coming up. Yeah, yeah. The water's coming up. Through the okay. Sand. So it's really about the topology of the, la- the bottom of the lake and what's And for those of you at home of. who don't understand what a lot of the things we're talking about, take your brain and screw it in tight 
and think about everything that you're doing. Which way you're casting, which way you're not casting, line squeak, all these things, different knots. All of these things go make a better fisherman on them. If you get the book and you read it, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Because this is 70-something years of experience in this cover, inside this covers. And everything that I found worked, I've noted in my head, and then I got home and I noted it on, on uh, binder paper, and then I transferred it all with my wife and I into this book. Does it tell you where to stay in Lake Almanor? No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> Do you I have, some, my own you have some insights? Because I was telling like my friend Graham. The, the chapter on Robin Tugs my, is pretty good. My friend yeah. Graham who lives in the Bay Area, I told him, bring his son up. You know, like, Almanor is a great place to, you can fish during the day. You know, it's great day fishing. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the hex hatch at night. And there's tons of things to do out there. But where would be some good place, like campsites? What are, recommendations on well, places I'm always, to stay? I stay my I know, house I know you got peninsula. the, you're right. Okay. West, but, Shore, West Shore, right? You want to kind of find somewhere. I'm in the somewhere. middle of a lake. But if you get, if I was to do that, I would go to the other side of the dam, not the Geritol Coast side, but the other side of the dam. Unbelievable brand new camping places over there. Hmm. When they rebuilt the dam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? They built some beautiful stuff. Plus, there's a fly shop now over at the Hamilton branch. Oh, really? Above it, I'll yeah. i to go peep that and out. Ni- nice guys running it. He's got all the Tom Momenier's flies. In Is the one in Chester still open? No, he's gone. Oh, he closed. Yeah, yeah Tom Momenier closed a couple of years ago. Oh. Yeah. You no, don't know, too. but every time you've come here, we've sewn some GPS units onto your onto you and your rig. Yeah, so I got your ass. And we're tracking. We're got right, APB on you. <laughs> yeah, well, you should have had a GPS on me this morning because when so, I saw that rattlesnake. And I'll yeah, tell you. So I got a question, Hal. Um, let's, uh, I went up to Alamar probably 15 nights over Hex. Um, I would say 10 of the nights I went up, it was super windy. What do you do in those situations? Go into a cove. <laughs> Just look for a windbreak? Okay. And that's where the, the hex is still going to come There's, off. Yeah, your, and you're going to have better And you got better action. control. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But remember, you want that dry fly to float. Don't put anything on it that's going to sink it. And the leader, you know, like a lot of guys say, well, you know, I like – like a one-pound test leader will. A one-pound test leader with a fly that size, even floating, is going to sink that fly because the diameter of the leader will hold it up in the water. Mm, okay. You're not thinking about that. So I'll, I'll sometimes go three, four, five-pound test onto that dry to keep it up in the water to hold it. But I'm I mean, as the night, night presses on, too, you can tip it up, right? Well, yeah, you can. But still, what you're not seeing is that what the fish sees. And when... Fisher's in this room swimming around. He's not seeing it, but at night he would. It's like mm-hmm. having those lights on, and he's looking right, up against the light colored yeah, dark yeah. environment. Okay. Light he sees environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Put yourself in the fish's position. It will help you more than anything else. When I'm in the boat, people say, "What are you thinking about when you're in the boat?" If I was a fish, where would I be right now? And I, I'm looking around. I don't see any hatch. I don't see any bugs. I don't see any minnows jumping out of the water. I'm out of here <laughs> because there's no fish here. <laughs> you know, it's such common sense. And it's nothing. This is a common sense book is what it is. It's common sense because I'm hitting you right between the eyes and saying, look, <laughs> this is all there is to it. Boom. You know. And I spit do. on my dry fly. You what? <laughs> I spit on it. Gross. 
So I always fish in mergers, Hal, and I, I, so I have the butt of the fly in the water so that the fish is cruising around. They can see it from a long ways away. So there's a little butt sticking down below the water surface. Emerger, it's a merger pattern. And then I put powder on the uh, dry part of the fly so it keeps it buoyant and up on the surface. So I always have a little bit of a shaker or something available because that's the other thing. If you catch a fish on a dry and then you're trying to bring it, you know, if you don't have it. drink a lot, Nick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then I shake that fly back up and I get it right back on the water and it's floating. So I usually catch a couple fish and then if if I've caught a couple fish, I'm happy. And then I stop and I look for the big one. I wait for that bloop, bloop. What's that sound caused by? The big brown that's out there. Slurping. Gulping. Well... And then I, I, I turned into I a hunter. I turned things. into a hunter. That's, I don't grease. I don't use any deacon. Decus. Yeah. What's the word? I got my tongue twisted. Decusessant or something like that. It makes things float and they put it on. Desiccant. Desiccant. Thank you. That's so simple. Okay. But I don't use any of those things. You know, clean is better. But if you got to put something on it, what you're using, yeah. use it. If you've got faith in it, use it. I'm not. I'm not here to sell anything. I'm here to guide you. Here's a here's a good one. Uh, so a lot of times when we do go to the hex hatch on like, and this is just Lake Amalur, but there's midges coming off, and that's what they're keyed in on. They're not even eating the hex, but they're eating the midges. Have you have you seen that? Have you have you been? Yeah, but there's a lot of midges. There were a lot of midges for them to be doing that. Right. And uh, if there's any hexes. At all showing up out there. They're, they're going to key in on that. And you're fishing a midge? Right. right. <laughs> how, He's waving at me. But how many, I got another question. How many How many bats have you caught, and how did you get them unpinned? Always hold them by the lower jaw. You do, you, you touch them? You don't drown them? What? You hold the bat by the lower jaw? <laughs> the bass. No. <laughs> bat. I, I said bat. a bat. I was like, he grabbed the thing by his jaw. Let me do it. I bat. cut my leader like Batman. as close to the bat as I possibly can. Usually it on the about go. 30 feet away. And I cut it off and build another leader and let them go on their way. You don't reel it up to the tip and drown it? Well, that's one of the coolest things about this hatch is that the birds are eating them, the bats are eating them, and there's a lot of different kind of birds eating them. It, yeah, it makes the Chinook can eat all small look like a walk in the park. But don't go into my underneath my chic, chic roof on an almoner and flutter at night. Because if they do, you're going to get lead poisoning. I'm going to go find your pram out there, and I'm going to kick troll all around you in circles. Good. <laughs> I do want to go fish. You, you, I was just going to say, do you, you got something at the bottom <laughs> of the boat that it's going to probably scare no, me. I'll just go ahead and catch this. He's probably made like a little torpedoes of some sort. <laughs> no, it's listen, fishing is fun, but fishing is also thinking. Yeah. And anybody can go out and have fun in a lake. I see guys that never catch anything. And drink two six packs of beer. And they're having a and great they're time. Perfectly happy. They're and having they're a having great a great time. time. Yep. I got nothing against that. Yep. I got nothing against it. But don't fire up your engine when I'm fairly close oh, to you and I'm working yeah. on fish. Yeah. Don't do I bet that'll trigger you. Oh, oh yeah. Man. <laughs> Take it, paddle away from the area there. Because and if you've got a woman with you, don't stay there because you're gonna hear some some words floating <laughs> in the air. <laughs> That's and, a good point. There's a lot of people that will just boom right into the well, cove. And or hey, what about can, what about you, when they have their uh, onboard sound systems you, pumping? You can coast into a in. cove, just you know, well, nice and quiet. Quiet, and, just get in there. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Do you have an outboard, little outboard, or do you use an electric motor? I have a thirty thirty on my whaler, 
and uh, thirty pound thirty thirty uh, thirty horse 30 oh horse. thirty horse okay yeah it's a Johnson and it's fairly quiet I mean but I I shut off way out and I usually just paddle in mm-hmm. okay because I know where I'm you don't at. you don't have a trolling motor on it never never how come why why so you don't have just to paddle? one other thing to tangle your line around it's one other thing you have to carry up to the boat up to the car. At mm-hmm. night, in the dark, stumbling so it's over. It's a pragmatic the decision for you, then. Yeah, it's a, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it under control. I'm the opposite Fly. of simple. Yeah, I'm I know. Just think about all the bullshit I dig <laughs> take out there. Well, as you, oh, let me man. tell you something. I might have to eBay some shit. I'm almost 80 years old, and in that period of time, I've seen it all. I like and less I, is more. And I take and I get rid of things that don't have any purpose in my boat. There's, there's lack of clutter. I don't want to tangle on anything. I mean, that's all I need is to lose a big fish and have a line wrap around something and a fish get off. What? If I lose something stupid where I'm holding my rod or where I'm positioned when I'm fighting a fish, then it's me. Yeah, you okay. control. What's, uh, what's something in your boat bag that people would not expect to be there? In my boat bag? Yeah, that w- people wouldn't expect to find. Probably a vanilla, bottle, a bottle of water, and you know, a bottle of water would be it, because I can survive on anything, but I can't survive without water. Yeah, you're like me. I don't think about food when I'm out there I'm fishing. I never, I never, until I, I start getting all wooey. Then I'm I take a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Well, I take a sandwich and I may eat. You're a long big guy. Out. You need but some you calories. Have to, I mean, water, water is a pretty easy answer there. How I'm looking for something a little more tricky. Yeah, fishy. Dynamite. Fishy. Yeah, what do you have? Dynamite. You're Three so sticks of dynamite. Come on now, give it up. No. What is it? <laughs> I have nothing in there. I have no secrets. I gave no all sunglasses. my secrets to this black thing I'm talking into right here. All right. All right. And and I could go night go to sleep tonight, and I don't have to worry about it because I've I've told it all, and I've told it the way I want to tell it. You know, if it's not right, I say, well, maybe it's not right. <laughs> and there's no in between with me. You notice that. You know, I don't give up, you know. So you had a rattlesnake scare today? You were going in talking about a rattlesnake. Yeah. Jane and I were coming down the driveway, and we walked over near the porch, and there's a rattlesnake with 10 rattles. 10? It's a good size. It's a big one. It's a big one. A fat one. It wasn't a long one. It was about Did you eat it? Long. Are you going to eat it? I doubt it. I don't. It's good eating. Yeah, well. Tell me where to ship it to. <laughs> I'll ship it to you. Snake train. No, we, we, we've got it in a box here, and I'm going to probably take the rattles off of it. And I might skin a little bit of it and eat it. I've eaten it before. Yeah. And I don't mind it. Yeah. I mean, you know. Kill it. got to eat it. But I got steak in there, and I've got chicken. I've got all kinds of other I things. I think that so. would be a good episode is to get a rattlesnake wrangler on the show and talk about. The, the dude that did the rattlesnake abatement for the Frenchie that I've got. For the French, that, that would be the perfect, yeah, for the pig. Oh, I took, to, I took him to rattlesnake oh, training. Oh, right, right, right. Oh man, it was just a shit show. But I've um, had I've had dogs that don't, you know, don't like rattlesnakes, so they know and they stay away from them. But my last one was Blaze, and and before that I had Crystal, which was I had a little dog. It's, it's in a couple of these photographs. It was uh, poodle and something else. And it was just a little wiry-looking thing, you know, about the eBay. Sixteen and a half years that dog fished with me. Holy smoke. Yeah. And, I mean, when I got in the van, she got underneath the seat. She stayed there. 
And when I stopped, she got out. And I was just never had to say, do this, do that. It was a perfectly mannered dog. But uh, I've had some very, very good dogs in my life. And uh, I don't know, after, after Blaze, I just don't have the ability to get another dog. I mean, I... I mean, I suffered a lot over most of that. Yeah, I mean, they're. I think pets are pets are really they're interesting because you you know you when you buy a pet you you that's this unwritten contract that you're going to get your heart broke at right. some point in the future because yeah, a family member. But you still yeah, do it. Might as well. Have, yeah. Well, when you're when you're go, driving along, and and you know the dog's underneath your seat, and you reach your hand down, and you don't feel anything. Yeah. That's a remind, I think I've told this story on the on the show, but I I, I had my lab with with me in my drift boat. And we were hex fishing, and uh, he was doing circles in the boat, and I I knew it. I'm like, oh no, he's got to take a crap, <laughs> and it was power hour. You know, dries yeah. were popping, fish were rising. I'm like, oh, sorry, Porter, you're gonna you're gonna have to wait, man. And sure enough, like in ten seconds, there was diarrhea being thrown all over the inside <laughs> all of my over. boat. <laughs> nice. Luckily, I had a five gallon bucket that I you know oh, would yeah. use to wash it out. I felt so bad for him. I'm like, I'm you sorry, dude. Yeah, you that's know? too bad. <laughs> well. I, uh, you got, he got even with you. He did. Yeah. He yeah. did get even with <laughs> me for sure. Yeah. So I uh, I took a bass fly in the ear a couple of days, four or five days ago now. A like what? A bass fly. Down it, dude. You don't want to be like, in the pram with Chad in hex here, fishing. Inside, down, straight down on the cartilage, and it didn't pass through. So I had to go. Um, I, I was alone, and I didn't have – tried to pull it out but i for, it was one of those flies i forgot to pinch the barb on like one out of 20 and it could not it wouldn't budge because it's just in the car oh, yeah, sometimes it's in places and where Hog, hogan's like come to hamilton city and i'll take it out with the mono trick and i'm like dude this thing's buried and i didn't you know i don't want to get my ear tore off so anyway, i pushed out and i went to um i went to the urgent care took three people to get it out one cut it this guy came in it two holding it and then they had to lance the back of my ear open with a scalpel and push the you know push the shank the rest of the way through yeah and then um yeah i was yeah crazy. Ears are in tough three thing. years that i've been fishing that was the first time yeah well, then it was a doozy yeah it's not it's not fun have you hooked yourself good well, before I myself right there in the i tied a fly on little me it was on lava creek and i fish rose and i swung around like this reached out grabbed my rod Ink. And pulled the fly right into my finger. Was it barbed? Buried it. Yeah, buried it with a barb. How'd you get it out? I was 16. Sounds like a shirt. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I cut the fly off, left it there. Yeah. And I fished with it like that for about an hour and a half. And the next morning, I went in to a a hospital or a doctor, you know, had a, this was in British Columbia, and they removed it out of me and gave me a couple shots, you know, and, Mm -hmm. And took it right out, but it wasn't too bad. I mean, that was an easy deal. But uh, I've seen some tough ones. Yeah, they almost they almost called the ENT surgeon because they were they were going to try one more thing, and luckily the third person kind of was the magic sauce to get me out of there with under a thousand bucks. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had to, I had to, in, in Henry's Lake in Idaho. I guess I was probably about seventeen or eighteen. A guy in the boat alongside of me. Got a fly in his eye. Oh, I just talked to a guide this this past week in a clear water that had that happen, and it ugh. he he didn't. It was not barbed though. He had it pinched, 
but it went in his eye on the side of the white was, white part which isn't going to damage anything it's, well he's but it's, it's jacked could, it, it his could. vision's messed up and he's got one pupil that's Jeez. just Wear permadilated Wear yeah he looks like he's on on molly the whole time in a one eye yeah well this guy here they finally took him to, down to boise and get to take it to a hospital it's down brutal. There to get out. wear glasses is so well, freaking important i've always wore glasses because i've you know had astigmatism what do they call it and you know from the time that i was like four years old you know i mean i i used to pitch in little league and i was the only guy that wore glasses you know because i wanted to see the batter want to see where the ball's good going. idea so uh and when i bat you know you know when you don't have Good vision, man. That ball looks like it's coming at you every time, so, especially if the guy's a right-hander. You've been fishing like, what, 50 years? More than that. Okay, 60 years. And you've only hooked yourself one time? One time. Holy and shit. And that was my cowboy boot pulled that fleet of fly right <laughs> in the side of my finger. How about you, Nick? I'm on track for about that same once? percentage. Yep, I've hooked myself once and then been hooked once. Well, I should have been hooked by myself again yesterday. I took two flies to the left, right shoulder, and uh, for some miracle, I think I guess I, you know, paid. I, I got some credits. These are hooks too that weekend. go in and you can't get them out. I mean, uh, I've I've stuck myself great. a bunch of times, yeah. but that's that's about. Well, it. I mean, like past the you know, right past the barb into the meat. And yep. you, These host. guys that strings are lying around and put the pressure on the back and all that. Sometimes that works, but it wor- It works pretty good. Hogan yeah, Hogan took work. one out of a guy at the bridge of a dude's nose with the mono trick. Yeah, it works. I took a four-out out hook out of a client <sighs> and it was well, in his back. I tried that one barbed. time with Bobby Cockcroft, who used to be, we still living up on the Fall River, and he lives in a trailer up there, been living there. I taught him how to fly when he was like 12 or 13 years old, and when he graduated from high school, he moved to Fall River, his dad was a veterinarian in town, had a lot of money. Dis- disowned his son. Said, I expected more of you, and I'm disappointed, and the kid's still up there fishing. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, it's just... When it comes to de-hooking things, I'm not good at that. I'm good at hooking them, <laughs> but not de hooking them. Yeah. You know? I just get it. I get nervous because I've seen something about Mary like five times in that scene, that bathroom scene when he's got the Frank above the beans or the beans above the Frank and he's got it. And we're just going to back it out. <laughs> and then like the next scene's like, we got a leader. The guy basically got his dick caught in his fly. His fly. That's when uh, you get the fillet knife out, just cut down to the hook uh, and then pull it straight out. Cut through the meat. Just don't even look. Fillet knife uh, right through it. You just get, yep. There you go. You're it. Here's your fly. Yeah, you need some stitches now. Make sure to cut above the fly. <laughs> My dad did that to himself you know, when he was striper fishing. He just took a fillet knife, went right through the meat, his finger, right down to where it was at, pulled it out. I don't know. Got to be a surgeon sometimes. Different general. Well, I've, well, had, I've had some experiences. I had one time I was sleeping in my van up at Fall River or uh, uh, Smith River. And I'm I had a couple of buddies that were staying in a room at, at Chip Ashore, and I always sleep in my van because that's where I feel comfortable. And I'm in the back of my van, and I'm sleeping, sound asleep, and all of a sudden the lights in my van went on. What was this? So I kind of got up like, and I looked. Oh, you got a guy in there. There's a guy in there, and he's going through my glove box. And Uh-oh. my gun was in my glove box. You know, and here I am back in, in the back. I said, who in the hell is it? He Turned, he looked, he saw there was someone. He jumped out of the passenger on the driver's side and started running across the parking lot and chip ashore. And I jumped out and I sleep in the 
in the buff. <laughs> and I'm chasing, chasing him down him naked across the parking lot. And if you've ever seen that ship, the uh, parking lot there, it's all a lot of trailers and yeah, oh, gravel and scare me, dog. And so anyway, I'm just running across there. And about the time that I was gaining on him pretty good, all of a sudden I realized that guy's probably got my gun, <laughs> and he did. No shit. So I just turned around, and let him go, and called the sheriff. Well, if, if you guys are if you guys are still listening to us ramble here and, and talking, um, and you want to come up and fish the hex, write me a message, send me, a, give me a call. Um, I'd, I'd be happy to help in any way. You don't have to be a fly fisherman to come have a good time here. You can if you have a little kid that wants to come catch fish. There's a deli method I can I can introduce you to, and um, it's a cool place and a cool hatch to check out. So you can I, hit me I'm up and then check out hat, check out Hal's book too for sure. I want to thank all the people that have heard me, that knew me from all the times that I was doing sports shows, that have either written me or emailed me or called and said how how much they enjoyed this podcast or the podcast that we've done. That's what we like to hear. And that was a lot of, I mean, you know, it's enjoyable to hear from somebody that you haven't heard from in 20 years. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I know it's getting out there. All I can say is, Buy the book, yeah. Stillwater Fly Fishing Secrets, and 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 speaking of thanking people, um, we, I want to thank the listeners for sure. Um, we hit ten thousand downloads last month, just in just in June, ten thousand one hundred and something. So pretty crazy, right, Nick? Yeah. Because we were doing like three hundred a month when we first started, and we're like, this is great. And you know, you fast forward to today and. We've got a hundred twenty thousand overall. Now. So that's without yeah. you. Without you, this wouldn't be happening. So yeah. we thank you very much. Oh, it's not me. It's you guys. You guys came up with the idea. I'm just sitting here for the ride, <laughs> <laughs> having yeah. fun. Talking. Well, it won't be your last ride. Yeah, and out of those, you'll, 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 you'll be back. Hold on. Yeah. Let's, and, let's and, talk about something really serious instead of the hex. Okay. <laughs> instead of the hex. all right. I mean, it sounds I, like I some booze to, needs to be involved. Yeah, I still want to <laughs> see this fish out. All right, we need to do it on the water with you, Hell. Yeah. That's what we need to do. We're not going to bring all this folks back. No, we got some lighter gear we can we can bring. Oh. Cool. Right. If you guys like this episode, uh, rate us on iTunes, Google Play, and or wherever else you get your podcast. Spotify, Stitcher, Spotify, um, YouTube. What else? What else, Nick? What else? Like I can keep the emails coming, guys, and all the phone calls I've been getting. And fit on. Yeah. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, barbless.co. And we have that Facebook group and it's for it's a private group, but um, you know, it's we pretty much let anybody in. The reason we it's private is I don't want uh spammers in there. So if you just look up the Barbless Fly Fishing Podcast group, I think it is on Facebook, we'll get you in there and that's where, you know, when we get questions from the community, that's usually where they're coming from, or DM us on um Instagram with a question. Uh, thanks Rich P for the, the question today. Hope that answered it for you. Uh, we ne- digress, but that's all next right. time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a podcast. All right. Thanks and for folks listening out there. I'll work on Nick. I'll make him a better fisherman. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I want to see you two go head to head. All right. Thanks for listening. This podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, fish bio and amped up bill. Fishbio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. 
from their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos. Fish Bio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And AMP.Build. AMP is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. AMP creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. AMP develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.Build.